I'm Laura Mize from TeachMeToTalk.com. Hi, I'm Kelly Hampton. Hi, this is Chip Gerhardt, Chairman of the Board of the National Down Syndrome Society. This is Rachel Coleman from Signing Time, and you're listening to Down Syndrome Radio. Down Syndrome Radio. Down Syndrome Radio. Down Syndrome Radio. Good evening and welcome to Down Syndrome Radio, where you ain't seen nothing yet. That's because this is an audio podcast, but it is a good spot to learn about uh, parenting children with Down Syndrome. My name is Mark Owens. I'm here with my good, good friends, Jason Kosky and Rick Kosmowski. How are you guys doing this evening? Doing great. Doing great. Uh, we got a great guest tonight, and uh, we're excited to be recording again after a short hiatus. Uh, but this is episode number 31, recorded May 26, 2015. Who wants to give me the update first? Should we go uh, West Coast first? Jason, how are you doing, buddy? I am doing great. Busy, busy as usual. Just, um, I don't know, nothing exciting. Lots of work stuff. A lot going on, but nothing, nothing exciting. What's new with Dex? He's what it's all about, man. Um... Uh, not much. Lots of preschool. You know, we're starting to really sweat um, kindergarten, but we have a, a whole other school year um, to deal with that. But yeah, it's definitely coming up. Working on feverishly working on reading and letters and things like that. So trying to get get ready. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All right, Rick. What's going on in your world? Getting close to the end of the school year. Yeah, you know, and everybody always says the years go by faster and faster, and that's such the truth. So third grade flew by. It was so fast, so um, I can't even take it in fourth grade. And Kayla just turned nine, so that's kind of tough, too. It's going to be you know double digits and all that stuff. Oh, man. Uh, it's just all flying by right in front of my face. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing you can do about it, dude. People tell you, oh, make sure you savor every moment, and you can do that, <laughs> but it still goes away. Yeah, well. <laughs> Well, we're going to have these podcasts to remember all these. You, someday you're going to be sitting there in a dark room listening to all your <laughs> moments of the week crying like a little girl. Yep. <laughs> just holding on to something and crying. Yep. <laughs> just, like, just like Clark Griswold in the <laughs> attic. I hope it's not that bad. Oh, but I, I do. You know, you mentioned Clark Griswold. He he is my hero, by the way. But All right. So what's, up? what's up with you, Mark? Oh, everything's good down here in Richmond, Virginia. The pools are open. School's almost closed. Luke is finishing his first year of kindergarten. I say his first year of kindergarten. He's finishing kindergarten. Uh, we're getting ready for next year. Kim's planning on what we're going to do over the summer. Uh, he had six teeth pulled. He had to go to the actual, uh, like, get put Oops. under at the hospital to get his teeth pulled. His wow. baby teeth were not coming out, so the uh, he was wanting with two rows or whatever. So he had to go and... Uh, Search and retrieval message, uh, uh, mission, and uh, so he's got a nice smile right now. I should send a picture. It's a real good one. <laughs> anyway, that's what that's what kids are about. They all have that uh, missing their two front teeth moment, you know. Sure. But no, he's happy, and uh, we're all set for summer down here. So life is good. Why don't you tell us about our uh, um, our guest tonight, man? We have a great guest, and it goes right along the lines of all of our updates. We're talking about education today, and we are super happy to have uh, Ricky Sabia here uh, as our guest. She is the, well, to add to many things she's been, she's the senior education policy advisor 
with NDSC right now working with uh, the governmental affairs uh, director, Susan Goodman, in Washington, D.C. Uh, she's long been known as an expert in the field of education for students with disabilities and definitely noted uh, as a go-to person for any questions you may have and has spoken at all of the conferences and is always someone that I like to uh, go to see and listen to. And uh, we're just really happy that you're here today, Ricky. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm feeling like the old lady in the group here since my son with Down syndrome is 23. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Where did those moments go? Yeah, well, <laughs> you're, you're looking at us going, rookies. What a bunch of rookies. Yeah, but also saying you're right, it goes very fast. Yeah, well, it is, yeah. it is certainly fun. Tell us about uh, about your son and about your about your history in the in in in, in, our, in our world. Well, I actually started out. I'm a lawyer by education, and I actually started out wanting to work in the advocacy world, but doing bioethics, patient advocacy. And interestingly enough, when I was doing that at NIH, there were a lot of patients who had Down syndrome there. Who were, who were there for Alzheimer's research. And I was pregnant with Steve, unbeknownst to me. He had Down syndrome. And after he was born, I took time off from working. I have an older son, David, who's three and a half years older than Steve, and decided to take some time off and, you know, just figure out the world of Down syndrome and what I could do for Steve. And in the process... I started doing a lot of volunteering for my school system in terms of being the parent on the committee that they always need, figuring I would learn a lot, I would get the connections maybe that I needed to help him. And one of those committees that I was on turned out, I turned out to be co-chairing with Madeline Will, who is my guru of all things uh, about policy and Down syndrome. And she asked me to go to work with her at the National Down Syndrome Society. So I became an associate director of policy, even though I had never worked in federal policy, I had mostly been involved at the local and state level and on inclusion issues. And then I was there for 11 years. And then I took the last two years, I actually been working not on policy, but with a a group called the National Center and State Collaborative, which got a grant from the federal government to develop new alternate assessments for students who have significant cognitive disabilities. And a lot of our kids with Down syndrome do take alternate assessments. And I went to work for them because they really have a philosophy of high expectations and getting these students to be able to have access to the grade level content. And in fact, the director of the project has an adult daughter with Down syndrome. And so I really liked what they were doing. And so I went to work for them for a couple of years and they created a wiki that has instructional resources for teachers to help them teach students with significant cognitive disabilities from kindergarten through high school. And I've been going around trying to help people learn about this wiki. And if you all are interested in seeing that, you just have to go on a search engine and Google NICSIC, which is N as in Nancy, C as in Charles, S as in Sam, C as in Charles, wiki. And it will come up. And it has all these great resources for teachers to help them teach grade level content or hey, align hey, content. Do that again, Ricky. I was trying to, I was trying to play along. NICSIC wiki. Yeah. Say it again. N. C-S-C, which stands for National Center and State Collaborative, and then Wiki, W-I-K-I, 
Uh-huh. And if you want any su- search engine and put that in, it'll come up right away. And it's a really great resource. So I've been working with that. I'm still working with them, as a matter of fact. At the same time, I am also working some hours for NDSC, particularly around the Elementary Secondary and Education Act, which is now in Congress and being amended. So that, that is, those are my areas of expertise. In addition, when I worked for National Down Syndrome Society, I founded and chaired the National Universal Design for Learning Task Force, and as many parents of children with Down syndrome know, universal design for learning is a framework of education for all students, be they gifted, be they have, if they have disabilities, if they're English language learners, but looks at how you can teach a class of diverse students in many different ways to reach the ways they learn. And it's, in my opinion, at least the way in to make sure that all kids in the classroom are getting and a good education and, and are having different ways to show what they know and to take in knowledge. So that, you know, pretty much has got me from here to there. And along the way, you know, that, I was an advocate for Steve, the... as we all are for our kids. And he's taught me a lot of what I know. It's that work on the universal design for learning that makes you one of my, one of my wife's idols. She's the education coordinator for our local Down Syndrome Association. And that really came out of necessity because when we, Steve was included in regular classes at, in elementary school. And when we got to middle school, I really was starting to wonder how we were going to make this work. How are we going to help teachers understand um, how to not only have him have a seat in the regular classroom, but how to have him really get an education in that classroom. And it was through learning about universal design for learning. Madeline and Stephanie Smith-Lee brought me up to... Uh, Boston to meet the people from CAS to develop the concept. And as soon as I heard about it, I just knew that this was the way, personally, I was going to make this work for my son and then hopefully also make it work for the kids in my district, my state, my country, <laughs> to the extent I could. Yeah, good work. We make that comment uh, uh, fairly frequently when we have uh, venerable guests on that uh, we kind of enjoy some of the fruits of some of the work that you did that you had to kind of blast through some barriers in bringing your kids up that, uh, you know, we have to kind of give back a little bit too to make it, uh, uh, make the same contributions for the next generation. Absolutely. All right. Well, and you, I don't, I don't know if, I, I mean, I'm, some people may have heard about universal design for learning and you, you touched on it a little bit, but it's, you know, and, and Mark just gave a plug for it, how much, you know, what would it, it's a big idea. I think that people may not have heard of before. And can, maybe can you give an example, Ricky, of what that is? So just to give some people some more information and maybe they'll sure. head on from here. Sure. And I can also tell you, too, you can get a lot of great information about it on udlcenter.org. It has everything you want to know about UDL on there. But basically what UDL is, it follows three principles, multiple means of representing information, multiple means of allowing students to demonstrate what they know, and multiple means of engagement. So, for example, if I saw a lesson that a teacher did that was so excellent in high school where they were teaching about Pearl Harbor, the, the day that Pearl Harbor happened, the attack on Pearl Harbor. And in the course of one lesson, he was doing, he did a radio 
like an original radio broadcast. He had a short video. He had kids get into groups and were talking about it. He had a map exercise. And so he had multiple ways within the course of that one class to be able to provide that information to the students and allow them to participate in the class. He would have words up on the board that were keywords that maybe some students would have difficulty spelling, so it would help them with their note-taking. For my son, when he did the map exercise, he had the pointer and he would kind of narrow the range on the map of where the answer would be to help him focus in more. So it wasn't a separate lesson for kids here and different kids there and different kids there. And this was actually a class for gifted students. It was a class that was able to take kids with different abilities in one class and be able to teach it many different ways in the course of 45 minutes so that at the end of that 45 minutes, no matter how you learned, you walked away understanding the core concepts. It was amazing. It's amazing if it's done well. And is that at, is that at odds with the common core stuff that goes into classrooms today? No. Or is that nope. something that can be adapted into it? It's, in fact, it was contemplated in it, which many people don't know, but because I was doing the, universe, the UDL task force work at the time that the Common Core was developed, we gave input into the Common Core, and they didn't go quite as far as we might have liked, but in a lot, lot more than a lot of current language about standards, they tried to use words that were less definitive, like demonstrates instead of rights or speaks so that if a student can demonstrate it maybe it's more flexible about the way they can show what they know and they even have a whole introduction to the standards that talks about it's the it's the outcome not the means and talks about providing flexibility in how teachers you know bring that information to the students and I think some of the objections around the lack of flexibility because you hear a lot of complaints about it being um, you know, too rigid, the curriculum, you sure. know, a, lo a lot of the Common Core State standards are just standards. The curriculum is how you implement that in school districts and classrooms. And how, what people have done to develop their curriculum in accordance with standards may not have taken that full message of being flexible. And I know here in my district, my son, my older son is a fourth grade teacher. And he says He's teaching the Common Core for the first time, and he says that the curriculum that they have actually incorporates universal design for learning, and he feels provides them a lot of flexibility. So, you know, it's all in how it's implemented, like everything else. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, so, so okay, go, go ahead, Rick. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, you know, so so what's going on with that now? Like, what's what's next for the uh, universal design for learning? Does it get updated periodically? Are there there are places where it's not uh, not accepted yet that you're working on or anything like that? Well, I'm I'm no longer actually working on that task force because I had to leave it when I left the national organizations. Now I've just you know come back to NDSC. the The committee is still ongoing, and of course, CAS continues its work. We were able to get. The language ended up in a lot of all the, the states have what's called ESCA flexibility waivers. A lot of these states have waivers that allow them to waive some of the requirements of No Child Left Behind in exchange for doing certain things. And a lot of the states did mention universal design for learning in those plans. 
to the extent to which they've implemented it, I am not certain. I know in my state, Maryland, we actually had a Maryland UDL task force. We had a state bill that created that. And then we actually had regulations that were passed about including UDL in our curriculum, which may be why my son is saying what he's saying. <laughs> and then wow. also about implementing it in terms of the kind of materials you purchase, because if you say you do UDL, but you only buy, you know, you only have one textbook that everybody has to use the same way, then it's very hard to provide different means for students to learn. You have to think about that when you buy materials. Uh, a good example of that is a lot of states went out and spent a lot of money on smart boards and technology, but then they go out and they'll maybe buy a smart board that you can only use with a handheld object. Well, what if you have a kid that can't hold that object? Then right automatically from the start, that student has no access to that technology. You know, so thinking about all users, when you go out and you decide to buy things or design things, you know, is this adaptable in ways that all different learners can use it? Or are we then going to have to buy separate things for every different group, which by the way is more expensive than thinking about different resources or a combination of resources that could work for, you know, a variety of learners. But I encourage you to look at that udlcenter.org site. It's got a lot of really great information. But yes, in answer to your question, it, you know, it does need to be implemented more. It is implemented, you know, spotty in different places. Even within my own state, it is still spotty in places. It's really about, you know, who's buying in and who's using it in the classrooms and I have it open on my screen and uh, on my list for links to put in the show notes. <laughs> Great, because it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's fabulous. And, and one other example a third grade teacher told me is that she had problems every year with students, not just students with disabilities, any students who had trouble with their fine motor skills and had trouble measuring, holding onto the ruler, holding onto the object. They would get frustrated and then we, you know, kids would break down, they'd go to the principal's office, all kinds of behavior. And then after she learned more about UDL, she had a station where there was a cookie sheet and she put um, magnetic tape on the back of the ruler. And that way the ruler was stationary and the student only had to move the object to be measured. And in that way, it, it took down a lot of the frustration. There were no behavioral problems. And it didn't get in the way of what was being taught or expected to be learned because it's really not part of measurement that you have to hold the ruler still. You know, that's not part of really what you're testing. And so for students for whom that was a difficulty, why not take that barrier away? And so that's an example also how it can affect even behavioral issues that are caused by frustration. That's amazing. I mean, just whenever you talk about breaking down tasks to take out the parts that don't really, uh, you know, aren't part of the objective is, is, is amazing to me how you can find the answers if people are willing to work towards that. And that's really the core of UDL is getting rid of what they call construct irrelevant barriers, things that aren't really what you're testing, but we tend to throw all this stuff into one assignment. And so you don't really find out. And a good example I have from my own son is they were doing a test on Romeo and Juliet in middle school, and they had a list of the plot points, and you were supposed to number them, you know, in what order they came. And he was getting totally confused by 
he'd put one and then he'd see one that came earlier, but then he had to erase it. And the format was killing him. But I knew he knew it. So the next day I asked him to please cut out all those sentences, mix them up and put them on his desk. And if he could put them in order, then it wasn't, the te- it wasn't him that was the problem. It was the test. And he got 100% instead of zero when they did it that way. Wow. And that really, sh- that really was an epiphany for them that it was not his lack of knowledge. It was the way it was being presented. And probably some other kids in the class didn't do well because of the same reason, because we know that whenever our kids struggle with something, it's ordinarily some other students without any disabilities also could benefit from the intervention, so. So what other things are you working on, Ricky? So right now, as I said, I'm, I'm still doing some of the work around getting the word out about the NICSIC project, and I'll be doing a presentation about that at the NDSC convention in Phoenix. I am also working a lot around this Elementary Secondary and Education Act reauthorization. And what that means is that the law, which has actually been around since 1965, it came into being as a way really started with uh, kids in poverty and the war against poverty and noting the big discrepancy between the abilities of the students who lived in poverty and the education other students were getting and to focus on schools that were, you know, and districts that had high poverty levels. And over the years, it became expanded to other students, a focus on other students who historically did not get a quality education, students of color, students with disabilities, English language learners. And so every so often they amend this law, which is what the reauthorization is called. And so now we have not had one of those since 2002 when the law was reauthorized and called the No Child Left Behind Act. A lot of people are more familiar with it using that term, but ESCA was the original name of the bill, and they've gone back to referring to it as that. And people, many people who have kids with disabilities don't know how important that law is. That a lot of people obviously know about IDEA because they have the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act because they have their individualized education program IEP meetings or their IFSP meetings for the little ones, Individualized Family Services uh-huh. program. How do the two uh, interact? I mean, are there separate acts of Congress, right? The right. ESEA and the IDEA? Right. They're separate acts, but they're very integral because, first of all, ESEA came around first, and that was the education for all students in elementary and secondary, which is middle and what we now call middle and high school. So basically K through 12 is covered, and there are also some provisions get thrown in about younger kids, but primarily it was about kids in K through 12. And we're always saying our kids are general ed kids first. And that's a fact. They are students in the school first and foremost, and ESEA applies to them as applies to all other students. Then later on, when students with disabilities started to become in schools and they passed the act that became the IDEA, what this law said is, well, in addition, now that we have these students in our schools as well, these students not only fall under the ESEA, the Elementary Secondary Education Act, But we are recognizing that in order to get the education talked about in ESEA, these students need certain services to help them access and 
be involved in and make progress in that education. And so IDEA is going to set forth their rights to have an IEP, which will say what their goals are. But, but their, their curriculum, their full education is based on the education that all students get, the general ed curriculum. But the IEP is supposed to be what are the skills and knowledge they need in order to make progress in that curriculum. And so it's very tied together. It's taking that all that ESEA provides and saying that this group of students needs certain special services in order to help them get what we call a free and appropriate education out of that elementary and secondary school education. So, 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 so what are some of the hotly contested issues that, are, that may or may not be in ESEA that affect special needs children? Well, some of them are specific to kids with disabilities and others are general for all kids. So one of the big differences between the two laws in IDEA, we have accountability for individual kids. If your kid is not getting a free and appropriate education, you can go to due process. You can you know, fight on behalf of your individual child. Uh, that doesn't necessarily move the system forward. There are state complaints and some other vehicles, but in general, it's about individual children. ESCA has accountability as well, and it, it's money that's going to states from the federal government, and the federal government is saying, but we're not just going to give you this money. There are certain expectations we have that you are supposed to help equal the footing for these, what they call disadvantaged students, with this money. So we are going to hold you accountable for doing that, and ESCA lays out what states are expected to do and show you know, for that money. So in No Child Left Behind, which was the last version, there were requirements put in there. There were always requirements for assessments, assessments to show how students were doing. But No Child Left Behind, what was different is they said, you know what, a school who is doing well in general for all their students, that's great. But if a school is doing well in general, but if any one of these subgroups that we're particularly watching out for is not doing well, then that school needs some improvement. And there was particular focus on these different groups and data collected for these groups, which there never was before. So prior to 2002, you couldn't even find out how kids with disabilities were doing, you know, how they did on assessments or anything. They just were required to have them, but nobody really looked at how they did or what should be done if they weren't doing well. So the state accountability piece is really important to make sure kids are moving ahead because if we don't have that state accountability, federal government holding some accountability for the, what the states do, then we can have our IEPs, but there's not going to be a lot of impetus for pushing things forward, for making sure they get a great education, unless the state on their own is really going to go to the forefront on that. And there are a lot of states that do, but there are a lot of states that we know still really don't. Uh, work on that education for our kids. So those are the general pieces that we're really worried about. A lot of the, the state accountability right now is being taken out of the bills and leaving it a lot up to the states to do with what they will. Also, a lot of the federal government role, the Secretary of Education's oversight to see, you know, are these assessments really aligned to the the standards as they should be? Are you making sure that students, for example, in alternate assessments are having assessments that are aligned to similar content as their peers? A lot of these requirements and oversight 
may be going away or greatly diminished. On the part of kids who take alternate assessments in particular, ESCA, Elementary Secondary and Education Act, in 2003, put out regulations that said, in addition to regular assessments, general assessments for all students, states are permitted to have these alternate assessments for students with significant cognitive disabilities. And as I said, a lot of kids with Down syndrome end up at some point or another in these assessments. And the law outlines what is permitted or not permitted in terms of both the assessment and also in terms of what's required about these kids who take the alternate assessment. And one of the big things in there is that there was a cap on how many kids could take the alternate assessment because we didn't want the states just throwing everybody and their cousin in, into an assessment that was not the full breadth and scope of everything you know, that all students should learn. And that has been in big jeopardy and still is in jeopardy in the House bill. Right now it's, it's in the Senate bill and we got it back in, but how, whether we keep it back in, that's gonna be an issue. Um, we also personally, one of the big things I was working on on behalf of kids with um, Down syndrome and kids who take alternate assessments was actually not to keep something from getting lost, but to add something in that had never been there. And that's to clarify that our kids just like it says in IDEA, should have access to the curriculum, and not only that, but participate, be involved in, and make progress in that curriculum. And currently, in the regulations, which is what they stuck into the law, says that they are included in the general curriculum to the extent possible, which, in my mind, doesn't even stand up to the criteria in IDEA. So we wanted that fixed, and we also wanted language in there that required states to allow our kids to attempt to meet the requirements of a regular diploma because 33% of the states, a third of all the states, have rules that say that if you take an alternate assessment, you cannot even work towards a diploma. From the time you're in third grade or whenever they say you're in an alternate assessment, you don't even have a chance to try. Right. You, 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 you've left the diploma track. Yeah, that's taking them it. off diploma track at a very young age. Yeah, that's so when, frustrating. <laughs> and, it, and it's not only because, first of all, you don't know what a child can achieve in third grade. And on top of that, you don't even know what the diploma requirements will be by the time they get there. So things might change drastically, and you're making this decision about a little kid. So we're trying to get that in. And right now we have managed to get that in both the House and the Senate bill. Again, whether we keep it or not will depend upon all your good advocacy. But our big struggle right now is to try to get the big accountability pieces back in there. Because without the big accountability pieces, even if we have the language about, you know, that the kids have to be allowed to try to get a diploma, and we have the language about them participating and making progress in the general curriculum, if the states are not really held accountable for the education of the students and there's no triggers in the law for if students in a school who have disabilities are doing poorly that they have to do something and not even telling them what to do just that there has to be triggers to do something um, then what do those other provisions really mean so that's going to be the big fight going forward in the next few weeks, perhaps, both of these bills may go onto their floors for the full vote of the House and the Senate, and there'll be a lot of 
probably negative amendments that to try to reverse some of the good things we've done <laughs> and to um, add in other things that might not be good. And so we really need parents to understand why this is so important, equally important in many ways to IDEA. And in fact, if we lose ground in some ways in ESCA, and a lot of the federal requirements are carved out of it, and it's just, here's a bunch of money to the states to do with what they want, we may well see that happen in IDEA as well, because they try to align the two laws. So, you know, we have a lot at stake. Well, there's got to be a lot of focus on this from, you know, because it's not just a special needs law. So there's got to be all sorts of other groups that are focused on, you know, provisions that maybe don't, you know, don't matter as much to us. Uh, I can imagine the just the, 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 the number of issues all over for this. And really, we, one of the things um, I've been doing for NDSC is collaborating with the civil rights groups, because just like disability subgroup is a group that the law looks particularly at, there is also subgroups of children of color and children in poverty and English language learners. So to the extent these new laws get amended and take out a lot of the focus on if a school has a subgroup that's doing poorly and there's no requirement that state or the district has to do something about that, this will impact not only students with disabilities, it will, dis this will impact these other groups as well. So we're working on the things that we have in common, we are certainly working together with those groups. Um, but we can't say it's just their issue because if that doesn't work out, then even if we have the pieces that are specific to alternate assessments, it's still going to affect our kids as well. So, you know, we have to play it on a lot of different, you know, fields. Is it kind of like it's taking the state accountability away along with taking the chance for a diploma away? I mean, I, I kind of feel like, well, what's, what's left? What are the schools going to do? And aside it, from what you asked them to do, you know? And in honesty, it wasn't ESCA that ever took diplomas from our kids. It was state diploma requirements. And saying that in order to pass, in order to get a diploma, you have to pass high stakes assessments. And our high stakes assessment in high school is the regular assessment. And so therefore, if you take alternate assessments all the way through school, you are not going to have the education background you need to get a diploma. So we're just saying you're off diploma track. That is a state law and what states have done. The federal regulations didn't say they had to do that, but the federal regulations didn't say they weren't allowed to either. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish is to get those law, the federal laws to say you cannot do that at this point. But Maybe. yes, you're right. The state accountability piece is, what, is what's being taken away. So instead of saying, here is money we're giving you for this purpose, and these are things that we expect you to do, including if you have schools where students in any of these subgroups are doing poorly, we expect you to have a trigger to take, make interventions to improve how they're doing. If when that gets taken away and it's just here's this money and, you know, there's some requirements, but they're very global and there's not a lot of, you know, yes, you have to have some accountability, but yes, you have to report their scores, but there's nothing about doing something if their scores are poor, then it takes a lot of the meaning out from it. You know, unless you believe that just reporting scores is going to make a school 
do something a lot differently, generally, you know, just reporting the score is not enough. People will say, oh, well, you know, they have disabilities. What do you expect? You know, there, right, ha right. there has to be usually some sort of a requirement that they are going to take some steps to improve those outcomes. And the, and well, the main thing you need from us is advocacy. We need advocacy. Yeah. So when there are action alerts out there and I post them on the NDSC Facebook page, the regular one, as well as the NDSC Governmental Affairs page. So if you like the National Down Syndrome Congress Governmental Affairs Facebook page, they will show up there. You can go to info at NDSCcenter.org and go on the NDSC website and request to be put on their alert list, you know, their mail list, email list that goes out. And you will get, and I usually tweet about them, so you can follow me on Twitter. Um, and I try to get the word out there any way I can when there's an action alert. And, and but generally it's around these issues to make sure that we have accountability, subgroup accountability um, in general in the law. And, and, and then what's also... The, what's usually the requested action? You know, uh, a form letter to your congressman? Well, actually... Any way you want to contact your congressman, in some ways it's easy. A snail mail, you know, the old mail, it, that doesn't work anymore because they're all afraid of anthrax. And by the time it gets through their <laughs> vetting systems, it may be, you know, three months from now by the time they get it. So really it's more about emailing, phone calling, you know, tweeting, any way that, you know, you can contact your congressperson and senator. Um, that's, you know, that's the way to go. So and tips on contacting your, your congressman is no snail mail, email, live phone call. And if you get a staffer or something like that, that's okay too, right? That's okay. I mean, a lot of times they just want to know that you're going to say, you know, I don't want congressman or congresswoman so-and-so to vote for this House bill unless it's got accountability in there that says if kids are not doing well, then there's going to be something that happens, you know, or whatever, whatever the statement in the alert might be, you know, or these are the three things that need to be in this bill, or I'm asking him or her not to vote for it because it's going to hurt kids, especially, you know, kids with disabilities. And this is how it affects my kid. All right, we're on it. You hear that listeners? Action item. Action. Keep an eye out for those uh, action alerts when they pop up, definitely. All right. So the uh, other thing I was going to ask about was the uh, the conference is coming up in uh, Phoenix. You got any sort of preview or anything for us for that? Well, of course, as you know, this conference is huge. There are usually at least 3,000 people from all over the country and even some from other countries. It's a great event for everybody just to get together, but amazing workshops. There are pre-conferences that people can sign up for ahead of the actual conference, which are four-hour, more intensive um, information topics. And I know we are doing, Susan Goodman and I, along with some other great people, are doing one on advocacy. And we have people like Patty Saylor coming in to talk. We have Joe Mears. We have Stephanie Smith-Lee. We have someone from the Global Down Syndrome Foundation, Susan and myself. We have uh, a couple of different people from state organizations. We have someone from a parent training and information center to tell you how parents and states can collaborate with their parent training and information center. Someone from a protection and advocacy organization to talk about how you can collaborate with that organization 
to advocate. So, you know, it doesn't have to be the parents with Down syndrome by themselves. They can get together with other dis- other groups, disability or otherwise. They can utilize these organizations that exist in their states that are already advocating. So it's what they call an advocacy boot camp um, for four hours. And we have self-advocates, two self-advocates who also talk about their role. So that's 11 speakers in four hours. Hey, it's on your part of the country there, uh, Jason. What do you think, man? Yeah, we are um, kind of throwing that around right now, whether we can make it or not. I know it's tough. And but I'm, we're, I'm, we're I'm, really going to try. And I know it's not like driving distance, even though it's on that side of the country. It's uh, eight hours. It's eight it's right hours, next to San Diego. Yeah, eight yeah. hours? That's not too bad, dude. It's, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. The other fun thing they have for parents is they do have for the kids, they have kids camps and older kids and siblings. And so different activities for the kids so that, you know, if you choose to have them otherwise engaged so you can go to sessions, they have all that available as well. All right. Well, it's definitely exciting. It's been a few years since I've been, but uh, it was definitely a worthwhile experience. I would do it again. Uh, it's always That's a good time, definitely. Yeah. When, what, where's it going to be the year after this one? Ricky? I believe, I don't want to say for sure, but I'm fairly certain they said it was going to be in uh, Florida. Ah. I know your favorite place in the world, that, in Orlando. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's, what I, that's what I heard. So I believe that's where it will be. Oh, awesome. Cool. Princess will, Kayla will be having her outfits all laid out, I'm sure. <laughs> so she's selecting the site each year now. That's pretty amazing. Excellent. Probably. I'm sure she awesome. put her word in for it. <laughs> uh, well, if it's, if it's in Dover the year after that, we'll know. Uh, you know. Well, you'll know we didn't pick that one. Sure. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, uh, no, we want everyone in Dover. It'll be awesome. We'll all walk around the racetrack. Any uh, any other questions, folks? I think it's amazing. I don't know. I'm just thank you for telling us all that stuff. I'm gonna go back and listen to this a hundred times. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a it's, it's so powerful information dump. And it's very dense. And I I hope it was clear. And if you have any questions that you want me to answer to help clarify anything that you think might be confusing, I'd be glad to. I can ask a question. How relevant is all of that stuff to, to preschool? Well, which completely, you know, a different, totally different topic. But well, there are they are putting some language in there and possible funding around preschool into the ESCA. In addition to the elementary secondary pieces, there are additional innovative funding. There's big recognition and conversation right now about the importance of preschool to prepare kids, obviously, for elementary and secondary education. So there is a focus on that. Specifically around preschool, something that happened recently was very interesting. I don't know if you saw it. I did have an alert up about this. And there was a policy that just came out from the Department of Education on preschool inclusion. And it was a very strong policy. It was a draft policy, uh, stronger than I've ever seen around inclusion for any grade. And they've chosen to start with the preschool inclusion to talk about it. And so we were asking people to go on this site, this blog site they had to put up positive comments in support of it because they were waiting to hear response from people to decide whether to make it a formal policy or to revise it. So that happened last week. And we're hopeful, you know, we there were obviously some people that 
wrote in that were not as much in support of inclusion, but we're hopeful that this policy will stay strong and that they will come out with it as a formal policy. And it really encourages districts and states to work not just with public preschools, but also reach out to private preschools and find ways to support uh, the inclusion of not just and not just preschools, early childhood education, the whole early childhood education gamut um, because of the benefits and it goes through the benefits and the history and how and in the law, uh, what it talks about in terms of being educated with typical peers. And it's, um, you know, it would be I think it'll be great for early childhood and preschool inclusion. And it will be a great, I hope, jump springboard for deeper and better conversations from the Department of Ed about implementing inclusion in kindergarten through high school and beyond. (laughs) Wonderful. We had a rough time with that. I know you did too, Jason. Yeah. And it's where it starts. And and I think you'd be very pleased to see this policy. And if you want, I can send you the link to that. And if you wanted to post it. Sure. I was going to run through the ones I had so far. I have uh, udlcenter.org. I have NCSC Wiki and, uh, of course, um, ndscenter.org. Or ND- Correct. Yeah, ndscenter. And I can send you a direct link to the Nixit Wiki, too. But, like I said, just put it on a search engine and it'll come up. Uh, but, no, I'll put a link. I mean, you know, if it, with a link, nobody has to actually type it. It'll be fine. Right. So I'll send. <laughs> I can send you um, the links for to the pre for the early right. childhood and also for the um, mix of wiki. Great. Well, do you guys want to do uh, moments of the week? I like how we call it moments of the week, but we've been doing a podcast <laughs> like every month or so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so that just to give you a moment to prepare, Ricky, I, I don't know if you have, uh, you know, something funny that happened between you and your son. Obviously, he's not a child anymore, but, uh, you know, that, that, that might be funnier or that you might want to share with us. Of course, you have 24 years to pull from. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully you can with <laughs> something. But we'll go first to give you an idea. Okay. Uh, so you, when do you guys want to go first? or? Yeah, I don't mind. All right. So, uh, moment. Well, so uh, the moment is coming up actually for us, and I don't know. Where so next week, um, the uh, all the able laws were passed in Delaware, which was a big deal. So, uh, and we had a really special moment at one of the uh, when it when it passed in the House in Delaware, where we didn't know, but one of the legislators who helped sponsor the bill said they're going to rename the law to the Kayla bill, oh, and uh, I heard that. which which was pretty amazing and, um, you know, humbling and, and things along those lines. But, um, and it's, and it's going to be signed next week by the governor and, uh, you know, Delaware joins the groups of, uh, you know, how many other States that have passed the able legislation. So that's such a big thing here, you know, from like a, from a serious side of the story of things, you know, and then on the other side, uh, you know, Kayla is just, it's just incredible watching the, what she's doing. And I don't know if we haven't talked lately about my daughter having, I don't know, she has braces now and just watching her just go through everything, um, you know, the braces growing up, getting bigger, going to third grade. Um, I, I, I love the back talk at the same time, you know, as <laughs> it being annoying. So it's pretty crazy, you know, but all of the realies that I get are, are just fantastic. And, 
frustrating at the same time. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's my story. Dude, that's big about naming the yeah, law. That's that, you know, so you'll be like, you know, writing checks to her uh, uh, Avil account and be like, you just write your name on it, right? Boom. <laughs> <laughs> does that mean, does she, does she get a percentage of all of everybody else's money? <laughs> she gets a cut. Naming definitely. rights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she wouldn't take it. I know. What do you say, Jason? You want to go next? You want me to go next? Sure, I'll go next. I was, um, mine is about a month or so old, but um, uh, it was Easter weekend. We went to Tahoe and we went skiing. And we took, I took the kids on the, the little funny practice look that they had there. And and it took some convincing, but I got the Dex man to go up the up the little escalator thing with me and to, to ski down. I was holding him mostly the whole time between my legs, but I have this great video of him uh, skiing down and pointing and saying, I'm flying. It was awesome. It was really, <laughs> really good. It took some, took some convincing, but it was, uh, it was awesome. Oh, so, you got to have a good experience great. that first time and then he'll, yeah, yeah, he'll get awesome. to love it. Yeah. Dude, that's super. Yeah. I don't have anything that good. <laughs> it's been months. I had to reach, reach back. Uh, hey, when all else fails, go back to the bathroom. Just head back to the bathroom. <laughs> uh, something. I have a. Uh, I actually have a sound clip that I just made Luke do, and it was kind of funny. In that, uh, uh, I was trying to get him to say DSR is awesome or Down Syndrome Radio is awesome, right? And and I had my phone, and I was going to record it and then play it here. And I couldn't get it to. I could. I, he could not remember that many syllables, right? And and the answer was right in front of me. I wrote it down for him because obviously he's he's doing really well with his reading. And you know, once I told him that what awesome was, he he had it. So here we go. Hang on, I'm gonna try to play it. So there you go. Could you hear that? Maybe that is awesome. Yeah. That was great. To the thing. <laughs> So yeah, so I guess with him it's reading, and, and he also does. Um, I have a plan. So every so often he puts up his right finger and he says, "I have a plan," and uh, his plans usually involve things like you know ice cream, uh, a movie where he picks, or going to a motel. Those are things that uh, are usually <laughs> in his um, uh, high on the list. He's six years old, about Ricky, so he's uh, he's into that and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and any sort of superhero that there is. So yeah. What well, right. goes around comes around. My 26-year-old was into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So <laughs> it, right. it comes all full yeah. circle. Uh, well, Steve, my Steve is 23, as I said, and he just graduated a couple of weeks ago from his two-year community college program that he's been right. in. So he's really feeling his oats as an adult. And so he's now taken to telling me what's what. You know, around the house, and he, you know, he'll come up to me and he'll tell me how much that I just need to chill, and he tells me that I'm going the wrong way when I'm driving, and tells me, you know, which way he thinks I need to go, and he's all up in my business now, as an adult trying to tell me, and you know, sometimes he has very good advice. I'm getting a little too stressed, and he's like, "Look at me, mom. Look at me." And I just calm down. You need to calm down. <laughs> you need to chill out. <laughs> you know, you're getting stressed. And, you know, you got to be more awesome. careful. I broke, a, I broke a cup today. Mom, really have to be more careful. You know? <laughs> so he, he's become the parent somewhere along the way. Well, we're all, we're all headed there eventually. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
Well, that's awesome. You, can you perhaps send us a, a, a photo of you and your family that we could put on there as well? Sure. I could send my family. I could send his graduation photo, whichever you want. Yeah, great. Uh, all, all, that. The above, all, all that. of the above. All of the above. So, what uh, what do we want to plug here, Ricky? What uh, what's what what's coming up that's important, or a particular spot you want to send people to learn more? We well, kind of talked about a few, right? But. Certainly, certainly the websites I gave you, and then if you if listeners are coming to the NDSC conference, I have that pre-conference that's on Friday at eight thirty in the morning. That advocacy pre-conference I described. I'm also on Saturday at 8.30 with Susan Goodman, I'm doing a legislative update. And at 10.30 on Saturday, I'm doing a presentation with someone from the Arizona State Department of Education on this NICSIC wiki and actually walking through an example of fourth grade fractions and how you would find different resources in terms of teaching fourth grade fractions. And within all this are a lot of things that parents can use as well to help support their child's education at home. So that will be part of that. And on that wiki, there are actually section that says parent tips and tools that have some information like that as well. But I'll be doing a whole session on that at I'm, the I'm conference. Looking at, I'm looking at that right now. And it, it reminds me of my, uh, my, my company's um, uh, o- Omega Procedures Little like our procedures, probably do everything to be, uh, um, um, uh, uh, to be to be ISO certified. It looks like these little and they're hyperlinked, just like this. This is really cool. So yeah, there's has, a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot in there. So that's why I'm doing that session to help parents kind of see how you can go through it and find this information and make it a little less I daunting. Oh, it's hyperlinked, right? So you can click on exactly Great. the parts you want. Awesome. And of course, you know, look out for those. ESEA action alerts or any kind of action alerts that might show up on the Facebook page. Yeah, I think that's the big one for uh, you're powered by advocacy. That's right. That's right. We all have to be for our kids and for all kids, right? You bet. All right. Um, any any further questions before we before we wrap up? That was awesome. I wanted to do a few things, uh, Rick. I noticed. Um, we were very close to 500 likes on the Facebook page. Is that something that uh, we needed just a few more so uh, uh, to make 500? So Down Syndrome Radio is our Facebook page. Awesome. Uh, DownSyndromeRadio.com uh, is the website. Obviously, mm-hmm. Down Syndrome, if you, if you search in Down Syndrome, which you just did recently in uh, iTunes, uh, you know, under podcasts, we're the second one that comes up. The first one that comes up is something that hasn't been updated in like six years, but still, for some reason, we're the second one that comes up. Um, <laughs> but Down Syndrome Radio, the little DSR logo with the headphones on, which I still like. Uh, anything else that you? Any other news? Or, uh, uh, DSR podcast on Twitter. DSR podcast on Twitter. There you go. There you go. Okay. All right. Keep well, all. get uh, you know, give us a review on iTunes or make a post on the uh, uh, Facebook page. Let us know future guests you'd like, topics you'd like covered, et cetera, et cetera. Nice stories. We love those, too. Um, all right. Hey, question. Have any of you guys seen the, that uh, Where Hope Grows movie? Ah. Yes. You did? Yes. Yes. And yeah, fact, can you give a review? <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah? 
Excellent. It's good. It's not. It's. I mean, it's a. It's a. It's a movie more adult geared. It's not like a kid movie. It has yeah. know, serious tones. It's about a yeah. you know an athlete who's an alcoholic who meets a guy with Down syndrome and you know helps to, and his life turns around and it's it it has you know happy and sad and crying and all that stuff it's all tied into it. So Kim actually um, took uh, took Luke to see it. It's like he's he's sick, so it's, and it's not a cartoon. But she didn't have a babysitter, and the whole group from uh, uh you know the self advocates were all going. She's like, well, I'll just give him lots of popcorn. <laughs> so, That's exactly it. You're, it's Skittles and popcorn. And, uh, so yeah, so and, he had a lot. Of and popcorn. you'll make it through. I don't. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was a great movie. And actually, um, David DeSantis, who's the actor with Down Syndrome in it, was at the Buddy Welcome Washington, uh, and that's where I saw it. The viewing of it earlier this year in February and that was uh awesome to see him talk and the, the guy who was the producer his name escapes me is amazing too um so it's cool it's cool to see how well it's doing all over the place all right well Ricky thank you so much for your time uh if you're listening thanks for spending an hour with us uh Th- thank you for inviting me oh absolutely hang on we'll end with a song or maybe we won't mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> I had it set to come out in my living room, so uh, my wife's probably wondering why. Crosby <laughs> stills a dash over playing in the living room. All right. Well, it's all about the kids, right? And we are going to do our best in this uh, for uh, for our next generation. I'm going to go sign up for the action alerts right now. Because the past is just a good time. And we're at uh, 458 on Facebook. Four hundred fifty-eight. Well. Gonna do a 